I do want to say thanks for being here this morning for our second week in this Despicable Me series. And in this series, we're talking about winning the battle over me. We're talking about the fact that there is this war that rages in our hearts with the part of us that we despise but somehow keep losing to. And last week we, we, we talked about that thing and, and we'll do a little bit of review here uh, in, in, in the beginning. We talked about the fact that there is this battle that happens within us that we must win because what's within us comes out of us and impacts us at every point in our life. And remember we saw Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 and he was teaching his disciples after they had been criticized about what they were putting into their bodies. He said, no, 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 no. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you, but it's what comes out of your heart. And look at verse 18 with me. He said, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them for out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. See, our hearts are, are, are the inner part of us, the inner me. And they contain our thoughts and, and they contain our emotions and, and they contain, that's the part of us that drives our decisions. And we saw that there are four, there are four issues, four emotions that if we allow them to dwell in our hearts, they have the power to sabotage our lives. And we identified anger and we identified greed and we identified jealousy and then we identified guilt. And this morning we're going to be talking about guilt. And we're talking about guilt because guilt has, the, has power over us when it occupies our heart. And that's your first blank if you're following along in your sermon notes. Guilt has power over us when it occupies our heart. Guilt, is, can, uh, guilt can get us to do some, some crazy things, things that we don't really want to do. Things like what I did this last week. I, I just need to let you know, I, I did something this last week that was motivated by guilt. Buddy, can you come on out here? Come on out here, Mac. This is my little guy. Come on out here, man. Now you can come. You, you can keep holding her. This is Mac, and Mac has Lucy. Now Lucy is the dog that I just bought this last week, and I bought this dog not because not because I wanted a dog, but because for the last year I have been being guilted into getting a dog by my, by my wife and by my friends and. And by this little guy, I mean, how can you resist, right? And it's so funny because about a month ago, Pastor Ron, he even jumped in on the guilt train on Josh and a dog. We're sitting there, we're sitting there uh, at, at lunch together. And he says to me, just out of the blue, he says, do you see yourself up there? You do, don't you? He just discovered that he was on the screen. Uh, he, Pastor Ron says to me, he says, hey, Josh, Debbie and I were talking and, and we, think, we think every kid should have a dog. Uh, I swear that Heidi had called him or something. But anyways, last Friday was Heidi and I's 16th wedding anniversary. And because I enjoyed the last 16 years. Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed the last 16. I'd like to have 16 more. And so I finally gave in and got everybody a dog. Good job, buddy. You did awesome. You can go back to mommy, okay? Okay. But guilt has power over us. And I'm going to live with that dog and all of its vet bills. That thing was up at 2 o'clock in the morning and 4 o'clock in the morning last night. And uh, we, we do things because of guilt in our hearts. And that's fairly harmless, right? That's fairly harmless. But we all need to overcome our guilt because guilt has power over us when it occupies our heart. And if we're going to overcome guilt, the first thing we need to do is we need to understand our guilt. 
I, I want to I help you this morning to understand your guilt. And the guilt that we're going to discuss today is often referred to as a guilty conscience. Guilt in our hearts comes when we have done something that we perceive as wrong. And, and when we do something that violates the moral law that we have in our hearts, we feel guilty. If you did a word study in Scripture, you would, you would see that, that uh, Scripture uh, is going to describe the emotions that come along with guilt. And you would see that guilt produces feelings of anguish and despair and shame and disgrace and fear and terror and just this overall sense of unworthiness. The psalmist in Psalm 38 and verse 4 described it this way when he said, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I mean, it's been said that the greatest tormentor of the human soul is a guilty conscience. And as followers of Jesus, we all understand that we've been forgiven But even though God has forgiven us our sin, we still feel guilty in our hearts. And this is because our sin not only affects our relationship with God, it affects our relationship with others. Listen, getting right with God is so important. But getting right with God doesn't necessarily get us right with the people that our sins have affected in a painful or negative way. It helps me to think about guilt this way. Every wrong that we do can be restated as an act of theft. If I steal from you, I owe you. So the message from a heart that's laden with guilt is this. It's I owe I know we don't think about guilt that way, and so I just want to share an example, a personal example from my life. And Back uh, about 13 years ago, I was 24, and I was a student pastor in Ohio. And uh, there was something that we did in our student ministries every fall. We called it the Manly Man Campout, and I would just go out with a bunch of the high school dudes, and we'd camp Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And so it was our Manly Man Campout, and we had a bunch of dudes going out, and I was short a tent. There was this guy in our church that I could always count on. He was a successful man. He was fairly wealthy and he cared about our student ministries. And so anytime I needed something, I could go to him. His name was Pat. And I I, I called up Pat and I said, hey, Pat, do you have a tent? We have extra kids. It's kind of last minute. I figured you might have a tent. Uh, Do you have one I could borrow? He said, yeah, I've got one. It's canvas. It's a little bit of a pain to set up. It's been in the family for a long time, but you're welcome to it. So I borrowed Pat's tent. We went and we did our camp out. We had a great time. Saturday morning came. It was time to start tearing down and the the, the skies opened up and the rains came. And I'm telling you, it just poured rain for an hour. And we waited because you can't tear down your tents when they're wet. You guys who are tent campers know that. You can't put a tent away wet or you ruin it. But we just had no other choice. I had to get the kids back to the church. And so uh, we tore down camp and, and uh, we went back to the church. And I just fully intended when I got home that afternoon to go ahead and, and set the tent back up, Pat's tent back up and let it dry out and then put it away right. But, but by the time I got all the kids home and by the time I got back to the house, I was tired. I was exhausted. I didn't want to set a tent back up. And so you know what I did? I put it up in the barn and I thought, I'm just going to go ahead and set it up tomorrow afternoon and let it dry out and put it away right. Well, I took a nap and I woke up and I never thought about Pat's tent again. Until about a month later when Pat called and said, hey, Josh, I'm taking the family camping this weekend. I need my tent. It's like, yeah, no problem. I'll bring it to you. I went up to the barn and uh, I, 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 all of a sudden, you know, when he called, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> 
I hope it's okay. Well, I got up there, I got up the barn. We had a small horse ranch. And so I got up the barn, I pulled the tent out and it was dry on the outside. It looked okay. I didn't even, I was afraid to look inside. I just put it in the back of the truck. I went to Pat's house. Uh, and as I was going, I was like, man, I hope this thing's okay. And I was kind of like, man, I hope Pat isn't there. I hope I can just leave it at the door. I, I knocked on the door and I was getting ready to go, but it was like, he was right there, you know? And he's just like, hey, Josh, thanks for bringing that back. I'm really excited about going camping. Did everything work out okay? Yeah, it was great. Thanks, Pat. He said, hey, and then he said this. He said, I remember when you borrowed it, that weekend it rained. He said, you didn't put it away wet, did you? Like, who, who remembers when something, and, and I was like, no. <laughs> See, I had a secret. I didn't take care of his tent, and I was embarrassed by that. And so what I do, I started trying to keep my secret. And so I lied to him. I said, no, man, of course not. I said, have fun. I was driving out, and I just remember going, oh, God, please let that tent be okay. I didn't really think much of it until Thursday afternoon when he called me at work and he said, Josh, just got to our campsite, pulled the tent out, started to put it up. Man, this thing is terrible. I thought you said you didn't put it away wet. And I said, well, I didn't. And he said, well, Josh, I mean, this thing is full of mildew. I went ahead and just, I was going to start cleaning it up myself. But as I was putting it up, the canvas ripped. This thing is ruined. He said, what happened? I said, well, I, you know, Pat, I don't really know. And I just start, kept trying to keep my secret. I said, you know, it was Saturday that morning. It was crazy. And, and we, were, we had a lot to pack up. So my volunteers helped me. And so, man, maybe they didn't really get it put away right. But I, I was pretty sure I double checked. Oh, you know what? Pat, I stored it in my barn. You know, that's an old barn. And, and it was in there for a month. So it probably got rained on while it was in the barn. And here, you know what? No matter what, I'm going to go ahead and just, I'm going to make it right. Where are you? He was two hours away. I said, I'm going to go get you a new tent. So I went to Dick's Sporting Goods and they swear they only had two tents. They had like a single man pop-up for like 60 bucks. And then they had like the Taj Mahal of tents for $450. And <laughs> I bought the Taj Mahal and I drove two hours and I gave Pat this great new tent and I left and I, do you think I felt good leaving his campsite? Do you think I felt bad? I felt terrible. I was so guilty. I'm just telling you, it was terrible. Why? Because I owed Pat. I owed Pat an apology because I'd stolen from him. What did I steal from him? Well, I stole his tent I mean, really, I, I didn't take care of his tent. I ruined his tent. That was the tent that he'd made a lot of memories with his family in. And, and I stole his tent. Well, yeah, you gave him a new one. Well, yeah, but not only that, but, but I stole his time, right? I mean, he had to chase me down. He had to call me for the tent. And then, then he really had to kind of just, I mean, just pursue me. And, and he had to wait on me to set that new tent up. But more than anything else, I stole his ability to trust me and his ability to continue to invest in our student ministries through me. And I just had this secret and I was embarrassed and I just kept doubling down to protect my secret. And because of that, I felt guilty. I had this debt that I owed him. And so you know what I did? I did what people do when they have a debt that they're either unwilling or unable to pay. I avoided him. <laughs> I just, I drove away and I just avoided, I just avoided Pat because I had that secret. See, I did what everybody does when we owe something. I, I tried to compensate for the guilt in my heart. See, guilt says I have a secret and I owe you. But rather than expose our secret, we attempt to balance our guilt. And there are four ways that we attempt to balance our guilt. And I've got another diagram here for you. And this is something that, that I've learned over the years. And so I want to share it with you. Guys, if you can just pull the whiteboard up. We have this scale of justice, this balance in our hearts. And, and so that thing, that thing gets out of balance whenever we have guilt in our hearts. When we owe someone something, when we wrong something, guilt weighs us down. And so there are four things that we do to try to compensate for that, to try to find balance in our hearts again. The first thing that we do is we try to cover. 
We try to cover our guilt. What did I do with Pat? I went way beyond. I, I drove two hours. I bought the Taj. I gave him a, twice as good a tent as what he gave me. Why? Because I had this secret I was trying to protect, and so I was overcompensating. The next thing we do is we avoid. I just really, for the next year, I just tried to stay as far from Pat as I could. It wasn't like it was a top of mind for me all the time. But whenever I saw Pat, I owe him. I'm just going to find a way to avoid that. The next thing we do is we accuse. You know, if we're feeling guilty over here, we can relieve that guilt by making it somebody else's fault or by pointing out their guilt. What did I do? Remember, I said to Pat, hey, man, you know, I was busy Saturday. I had a lot of things going on. We had a bunch of kids. I didn't want to lose any kids. And so my volunteers put the tent away. I blamed it on the volunteers. Or we excuse. Remember, what was I thinking? Oh, okay, well, uh, you know, Pat, hey, yeah, the, the roof leaked in my barn. Yeah, that's it. That's, remember the liar? Yeah, that's the ticket. You know, I mean, we cover, we avoid, we excuse, we accuse. And that's how we try to balance out that guilt that weighs down in our hearts. And, and I'm not the only one to do that. You're not the only one to do that. Hey, we got that honest. You know where we got it from? We got it from Adam and Eve. We can go to Genesis chapter 3 and we can see those four responses to a guilty heart. Look at it with me. In verse 6, this isn't on your sermon notes, I'll just give you the context. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it and she gave to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So they disobeyed God's law and they were guilty in their hearts. And then, verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings. Circle that. Coverings. They tried to cover their guilt with their own good works. Verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? They hid. The one that they had wronged, the one that they owed, they hid from him. Why? Because he made them feel guilty. Keep going. And the Lord God among, they, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Circle that. And this is one that is especially dangerous. And dads, dads husbands, I want to talk to you for just a second. Man, I just want to talk to you. You know, we, we have such an incredible opportunity um, God has given us such an incredible role to play in our family as husband and father. You know, those are names that he, that he um, ways that he describes himself. And, and you guys know that the ones that we're closest to are the ones that we end up failing the most, right? And, and I fail my wife and I fail my kids and, and I don't feel good about my failures. I don't feel good about my shortcomings. In fact, I feel guilty about my shortcomings. And there's a lot that, 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 um, there's just a lot that I feel guilty about at times in those things. But we have to understand if we feel guilty about how we failed our wife and our kids, and yet we go ahead and begin to allow our hearts to compensate for that guilt by avoiding those who make us feel guilty, we take from them the thing they need most, which is what? Us. But you see how this works? And this is why guilt in our hearts is the power to sabotage our life and our relationship. Let's keep going. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? This is God talking. And the man said, the woman that you put here. Circle that. The woman that you put here. Adam accuses. But who does he accuse? It's not the woman. He accuses God. God, you put this woman here and she's the one who gave me the, the fruit. It's, it's her fault. 
And, and then the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. Circle that. See, and it's the excuse. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't understand. I was deceived. So from, from the beginning of human history, humans, we've been dealing with our guilt and trying to balance out that debt by covering and accusing and excusing and avoiding. And, and we avoid those we owe when we work to cover and accuse and excuse. But, but guilt shows Guilt shows we, we can't hide it. In fact, people who are harboring guilt in their hearts are really easy to identify because people who feel guilty build walls to guard their secrets. People who have guilt in their hearts, it's hard to get close to them because they're afraid if they let you close, you're gonna really start to discover their secrets. People who feel guilty find it difficult to trust because they feel so untrustworthy and they know that everybody else has gotta be that untrustworthy. And, and, and people who feel guilty usually overreact to, to, the, to others who show their weakness. And, and, and that's why guilty people a lot of times can be judgmental people. The, uh, Jesus referred to it as log eye disease, remember? He said you, are, you can identify splinters in other people's eyes or character. Why? Because you're guilty of those same things. You've got, you've got a big old log sitting out of your eye, and you're going to cr- criticize someone else. And so a lot of times guilty people, we, we are judgmental of others because it, it relieves some of that pressure, Right? And I know what happens as I start describing how you can identify people with guilting their hearts. We all start going, oh yeah, they must feel really guilty, right? I know, I work for, I work for a gal like that. But that's not the question. The question this morning isn't who around me is guilty. The question is, do I have a secret? Remember, we're talking about our hearts. So the question I really want you to wrestle with this morning is, do you have a secret. And if you do have a secret, and if when I asked that question, you, you felt some guilt in your heart, can I just, I, I want you to be encouraged this morning. And I don't only want you to be encouraged, but I want you to be glad. I want you to be glad that it still hurts. I want you to be glad that guilt still affects your heart because Paul wrote to a young pastor, Timothy, and he said, you need to understand, Timothy, that there are those, and he calls them hypocritical liars. He said, their consciences don't work anymore. Look, their consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They have so violated their conscience, they have so ignored their conscience, that moral law written within their heart, that they can lie, and it doesn't even affect them. It's like their conscience, someone took a hot iron to it and just held it there to the point to where it was seared and those nerve endings all died. It just doesn't work. And so if this morning when we talk about guilt, you can identify some guilt in your hearts, I want you to be encouraged. I even want you to be glad. Because see, if you have a secret, if you have a guilty heart, the solution isn't feeling guilty for, for feeling guilty. No, the solution is confessing your guilt. If you're going to overcome your guilt, you you not only need to understand your guilt, you need to confess your guilt. Why is that? It's because our secrets lose their power when we expose them. Our secrets lose their power over us when we expose them. And that's why confession is the cure for a guilty heart, a guilty conscience. Confession is the cure for a guilty conscience. Now, you guys might say, uh, But Josh, I've confessed this thing a hundred times to God. The secret that I'm wrestling with, man, I'm telling you, I have confessed this thing 
over and over and over and over again to God. And I just got to tell you, I can't get rid of the guilt. And I think that might be because you've fallen into the trap that I've fallen into. You know, as, as a follower of Jesus, we, we grab a hold of scriptures like 1 John 1, 9 that says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we, we, we take a verse like that and we grab a hold of that truth and we use, we use confession to God as like a temporary guilt release right? We feel guilty about something that we do. And, and so we say, oh God, I'm sorry for that. Will you forgive me? And we, we, we need that forgiveness. And, and, and I want to make sure everybody understands that when you be, make the decision to become a follower of Jesus and you confess your sins from your heart that very first time, scripture teaches that God confess, forgives us of our sins, past, present, and future. And so confession to God is an important part of maintaining a healthy relationship with him. But listen, when we, just think about this for a second. When we confess our sin to God, does that, of course that doesn't relieve our guilt because our offense wasn't just against God, right? It was against someone else. And so it doesn't make sense to think that, oh, I can confess to God and yeah, that's going to relieve my guilt when it hasn't really reconciled the, the debt that I owe to the person I wronged. And so um, I, sometimes that's hard to grasp. And so I've got a little thing I want to do. I need two people to help me out. Can I just get two volunteers quickly to just come to the front? You don't have to raise your hand. Okay, I got a lady. I need a dude. Thank you very, very much. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Okay, uh, uh, Miss Carol, she has a name tag on. She knew it was going to be volunteer today. I'm Josh, and you are? Charles, awesome. So, Miss Carol, you are gonna uh, you're gonna be God um, in this uh, illustration. And Charles, here's what I need you to do. In just a second, I'm gonna ask you to slap me in the face. Can you do that? No, really. Can you do that? Okay, awesome. So Charles is going to slap me in the face. And then uh, after you slap me in the face, would you just uh, Carol's God? And so would you just confess to her uh, uh, for for hitting me? Okay. Okay. So. Um, uh, you know what? You're on the wrong side uh, to do that. I prefer to be slapped on the left uh, side. Carol, go ahead and go on the other side of him there. Um, okay, so go ahead. Whenever you're ready, just, just haul off and slap me. Oh. Charles. Okay, thank you for being so sweet. Uh, there's a mosquito in here. I felt it on my cheek. Um, go ahead, man. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's not how it works. Do you forgive him? Oh, yeah, I forgive Okay. Okay, so, so did you hear him? I just slapped Josh in the face, and I feel terrible about it. Okay, so you feel better? Kind of. Kind of. Okay, please, slap me in the face. And this time, really slap me. Come on. No, 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 no. you got to slap me. <laughs> slap me like you mean it. Right here. Oh, that was good. That was good. Now I'm mad. Okay, go ahead. Can you apologize again? Just confess that to God. Okay, so he's forgiven. So how, go ahead, slap, no. How many times do you think I can keep this thing up? How many times? Listen, he, I might, he, he's genuinely sorry, and he might, but I, this isn't working for me, Charles. I'm just telling you. And what, what Carol said at the beginning was, you need to talk to Josh. Listen, God's going to hear our confession, but at the end of the day, he's up there saying, I forgave you a long time ago. 
But I'm not the one you need to confess to. Good job, guys. And Charles, thanks. I'm going to find you afterwards. I'm going to smack you in the face. (laughs) Confession is the cure for our guilty conscience. See, and we use confession to God as like a temporary guilt release to make us feel better. But if we really want to get freed up from our guilt, we have to pay the debt we owe. We have to. See, in Scripture, confession is associated with change and is clearly connected with restitution, repentance, and restoration. In Numbers chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, God says to Moses, he says, Hey, say to the Israelites, any man or woman who wrongs another in any way is so unfaithful uh, and so is unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess the sin they have committed. Well, to who? Well, they must make full restitution for the wrong they have done. Well, to who? They need to add a fifth of the value, interest to it. To who? Well, they need to give it all to the person they have wronged. See, confession means paying the debt we owe to the people that we have stolen from, either by a sin of omission or commission. You might say, well, Josh, that's the Old Testament. Man, we're in the New Testament. This is the age of grace. You had to go back to Numbers to find something to support that point. Well, can I just remind you about when Jesus, how Jesus approached confession with people? You guys remember the story of Zacchaeus, that wee little man, that that tax collector who climbed the sycamore tree because he wanted to see Jesus, and Jesus walked by and said, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house to eat. And Zacchaeus, he knew his reputation, and he knew what it would have cost Jesus and what people would have thought of that. And he was at dinner, Jesus was at dinner at Zacchaeus' house, and and Zac, man, he, he confessed Remember what he did? He said, Jesus, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to pay back the money that I stole from everyone I ever stole from. But I'm not just going to give them back their money. I'm going to give it back with 400% interest. I'm going to give it back. I'm going to give them back four times what I took from them. And notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, oh, no, Zach, you don't get it. Listen, you don't need to do that. Look, this is the age of grace. Uh, you've, you've told me, I know you're sorry. You told me you were sorry. We're good. You don't need to pay them back. No. See, here's the thing. Confession, confession involves restitution, repentance, restoration. And here's, the, here's how, where confession begins to really change our life. When we have to go back to those we wronged and we have to pay the debt that our wrong created, we are less likely to repeat that wrong. You think Zach was going to go steal from those folks again when he just had to pay them back four times what he took? No, see, that's how confession changes our lives. See, God values relationships and considers restoration a priority. Often, that requires confession, not just to God, but also to the offended party. We confess to God for forgiveness. This is an important principle. We confess to God for forgiveness, but we confess to each other to find healing. And God, because he loves us unconditionally, is going, he, he offers us forgiveness, and you may confess to someone you've wronged and they may not forgive you. They may not offer that to you. But what you will find in confession and as you seek to give restitution, you will find healing. James says in James 5, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
And in that context, he's, James has suggested earlier in the chapter that perhaps there is some physical illness that, that is, happens in people's heart because they harbor guilt, or happens in their lives because they harbor guilt in their hearts. And he says, so, so confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. You may be healed. And that's not just, no matter how you feel about that physical healing, the emotional and the spiritual aspects are true. See, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, a prayer of confession. And so can I just finish my story about Pat? You want to know what happened with Pat? I, I avoided Pat for about a year. And then, uh, but I'm just telling you, uh, when I would see Pat, it would be top of mind. And when I would really get serious about uh, what, what my relationship with God and when I had quiet time with God, uh, man, there would be times when you just bring it to my heart. And I was just guilty and I was working really hard. I was doing everything I could to balance that thing out. But one day I was just like, okay, I just need to call Pat. And so about a year after the tent incident, I called Pat up on the phone and I just said, hey, Pat, it's Josh. I'm really embarrassed about this, man. I really don't know how to say it other than I put your tent away wet. And, um, and then I lied to you about it and, and I'm embarrassed about it and I'm, I'm sorry, it was wrong. Will you forgive me? And you know what he said to me? He said, yeah, of course, Josh, I'll, I'll forgive you for that. And he said, I mean, to be honest with you, I pretty much knew that you put my tent away wet. You know, I mean, those things don't just happen uh, to, you know, by themselves. And I, you know, you're a good kid. And so I just kind of wrote it off. But I'll be honest with you, I kind of wrote you off too. And I said, I know Pat. And he said, but I really appreciate you having the courage to come back. And you did make it right. And we've enjoyed the new tent and, and all that. But I appreciate you coming back. And I appreciate you apologizing. And yeah, I'll forgive you. You know what happened in my heart at that point? Man, there was such a release. You know, I cared so much about keeping Pat's respect that I had sacrificed my ability to, to respect myself. Sometimes we, carry so, we care so much about the respect of others that we, we, we guard our secrets to the point to where we, we lose our own self-respect. Guilt does that to us. And so I got that back. But you know what I got else? Or what else I got? I got a relationship with Pat Culpepper back. And it's not like Pat and I are best buddies, but Pat is a guy who began to invest in our ministry again and, and began to invest in me again. And, and about five years ago, I got, a, I got a call to come out and pastor here in Southern California. And, and um, I was living in Atlanta at the time. And you know one of the guys that I called up for counsel about that move in my life and my family? Pat, I called Pat and said, hey man, I'm coming to Ohio to meet with you. Can I have an afternoon? He's, 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 a, he's a part of my personal board of directors, four or five guys that when I have a big decision, I go and I say, help me think through this. Help me understand this. You know me. You've watched me. I got that back from Pat. You know what? I almost, I almost sacrificed that because I didn't want him to know that I didn't take care of his tent. But see, that's what we do. Guilt does that. Guilt does that. And the reason, the reason we still feel guilty about things in our past, maybe because they're unresolved. They're still unresolved. Confession is the cure for a guilty conscience. And so the most important words, honestly, that I've learned to say are, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And can I just tell you some of the most powerful moments in my life have come when I've confessed to others or when others have confessed to me. Think about the people who owe you. Think about what it would mean to you to hear from them those words, I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Think about the gift that confession is to those that you've hurt. What do we sacrifice to protect our secrets? It means humbling yourself, owning up to your part of the problem and doing everything within your power to make those relationships right. 
But when you and I swallow our pride and take that extra step, something remarkable happens in our heart. Guilt loses its foothold. Guilt loses its power over us. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to begin a habit of confession. Begin a habit of confession. Remember, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 5, he said, dreaming instead of doing is foolishness. And so we can get really excited about the idea of guilt being removed from our hearts. But unless we do something, unless we take action, it doesn't happen. And so here's what I want you to do. When I said, do you have a secret? Maybe there was a big old secret in your heart that has been weighing down on you. I want you to just kind of push that to the side for a second. I want you to identify a little secret. (laughs) I want you to identify something that it feels somewhat safe for you to confess. I I picked a safe illustration this morning in in my Pat Tent story. But something that, that, that you can confess, because remember, confession is not a singular event. Confession must become a habit in our lives. You know, I found myself just running to confess. I confess to my wife all the time. I confess to my kids when I fail them. I try to just, as quickly as possible, say, hey, buddy, I'm sorry. That was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? Funny, in my, in my relationship with Pastor Ron, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I found myself confessing to him. He, he had sent me an email uh, one morning, and I was just in my work mode getting some things done. And, and I read his email, and I, I was a little frustrated. And, and, and I wasn't necessarily frustrated with him, but I was frustrated at him. And I sent off an, an email to him, and it wasn't disrespectful, but it was passive-aggressive. And so he called me up a little bit later and he said, hey, Josh, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to talk to you uh, in, about our email conversation. There, there, we can't afford ambiguity in our relationship. He said, so are you okay? And I had about a half an hour and I, uh, in, in between my email and him calling me, you know what I said to him? I said, Ron, I just got to tell you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. I, I was passive aggressive in that email and I was frustrated, but that was disrespectful and you don't deserve that. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And he said, yes. And then he kind of leaned into, why were you frustrated? And I got to explain that to him. And as he understood my heart, he ended up apologizing. And then we had nice and like a nice huggy moment through the phone. <laughs> but we, our relationship works. Why? Because we practice the habit of confession. The way to take the power out of our guilt is to find a safe place to begin a habit of confession. And so I want to encourage you to identify a safe place in your life. This might not be connected to your profession. It might not be connected to your family right now. But find a safe place, whether that's a friend, whether that's someone, a, a counselor, a pastor, a small group leader, whether that's celebrate recovery on a Friday night, but a safe place where you can, you can say, I've got this in my heart. I've been carrying around. I need to, I need to confess this to you and, and be open to the fact that you may eventually need to circle back around and, and to really be able to make restitution or find restitution restoration. Uh, Confess that to the offended party. But what I just want so desperately for all of us is to be released from the guilt that we carry around in our past, in our hearts, tied to our past. And so I want to encourage you, begin a habit of confession. Will you do that this week? Find something easy and confess it. And see what it starts to do in your hearts. God, you're so good and we're so grateful for your perfect plan. Lord, I'm sorry that so often and so easily I violate that plan. And I am so grateful for your forgiveness, your unconditional love and acceptance uh, um, in spite of all my weakness and sin. 
Lord, I just uh, thank you for those who have modeled confession for me, those who have helped me to release bitterness uh, in my heart by saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And I just pray for those uh, in this room who this morning have a secret and they've been guarding it and it's been eating them up. Lord, I pray that they would begin to develop a habit of confession so that they can be freed up from the guilt that has um, hijacked their life and relationships. We love you so much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.